this is about my life, who I am, because people have been emailing me wanting to know more about me, about, you know, who am I and why am I doing this? Well, let's just say that I've always had a detective mind and always thought outside the box. I challenged every teacher. I knew that something was not right with the school system. And I knew that I was learning things I didn't really need to know at a very early age. And I just was a rebel. I wasn't going to be indoctrinated. And um, I always had my own thoughts on things and I always and I wasn't afraid to express myself I grew up well I was shy as a little girl but my mother always boosted my self-esteem gave me a lot of confidence my dad always made me laugh and kind of broke me out of my shyness um my parents were amazing my father was full-blood Egyptian My mother was Scottish, Irish, and Native American. Many of her relatives were chiefs of tribes, Blackfoot, Shoshone, Cherokee. Um, My father had a lineage that he said was like uh, Egyptian royalty. Because of the way that things are in Egypt, a lot of the cousins marry for the bloodline preservation. And unfortunately, his parents were first cousins, which caused um, some genetic issues for my father and my uncles, and I believe my auntie as well. But I think she had a different, a different father, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, I believe she did. But my father's two brothers, they all have the same, they all had the same mother and father. So, um, I took care of both of my parents before they passed, was very close with both of them. Very, very adventurous and fun life we had. Um, as a child, was born in California, moved to Egypt for a couple of years to spend time with my grandparents there, which they did spoil us. My father's parents were wealthy, and they, my grandmother used to show me off to all of her friends every day, all day. <laughs> She put me on her hip with my little hair and pigtails and take me to all of her friends' houses and cook for us every day. Um, She always fed me potatoes because I loved them. So me and my brother had really fat cheeks as children and big heads (laughs) and little bodies. And we, we were loved. We were definitely loved by our family for sure our you know our our parents and our grandparents who are unfortunately all passed but still um spiritually present i feel that we will all reunite again and my mother always told me about egypt and how her experiences were there i was very young 
I just learned to speak and my first language was Arabic and I taught my cousin English. I had an, I had an, an Italian Egyptian cousin there named Caroline and she taught me Italian. I taught her English. I taught my other cousin Dina, who is Dina Habib um, Powell McCormick, by the way. You can look her up. She's pretty influential and has done a lot of charitable work across the world with women in all different countries. She taught me Arabic and I taught her English and she was always very poised as a, as a little girl and she used to cross her hands in her lap. And my mother, who was a third generation intuitive, said at the time, I wouldn't be surprised if she became president of the United States because she was just so sophisticated. And sure enough, she grew up and worked for many uh, politicians and did a lot of work in the White House and, uh, you know, flew around on Air Force One. And um, <clears throat> we've lived different lifestyles. She's been a lot more sheltered than I have. And so I have a different perspective. And I haven't really had the conversation with her about the things that I'm aware of, that I've been aware of for quite a while. But knowing her and knowing... Um, how she how she views things but not knowing all of her knowledge she's a very wise woman so but I just there's some things uh, that uh, I think she might be unaware of Just I just want to say that in her defense because we are freedom fighters and we know that a lot of the people in the top of politics and finance are behind a lot of these agendas but I want to say that uh, my cousin has a heart of gold and the work that she has done has benefited mankind and um, in a big way and continues to so um, so my parents my mother was Scottish Irish and Native American with Blackfoot, Cherokee, Shoshone blood and a lot of her relatives were chiefs of tribes and things like that. My father, full blood Egyptian, big family all over the world, <laughs> cousins everywhere. Um, I've lived in Florida, now currently Washington State, which is a beautiful state. And Southern California, also briefly Northern California, which uh, I was considering, but there was a lot of um, violence there that I witnessed that was kind of disturbing in where I was. So chose to keep going north. I like Oregon as well. Um, and I'm considering exploring some other states. I'm considering Alaska and Montana and and other places just to check out. I want I want to do a national road trip because I don't like to fly. I have family in Florida as well that I like to go spend time with, and I lived there for a time too. 
I like the winters there, but not the summers. Um, I wanted to go to New York before all this crazy stuff happens because I am an artist and I probably still will one day. It's just, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, um, where was I? Okay, so I grew up, I, was, I lived in Egypt for a short time, spoke Arabic. My mother learned the language to communicate with me because she didn't understand a word I was saying and she wanted to communicate with her baby girl. So she became very fluent and had the dialect down so well and it used to, you know, amaze the my Egyptian family members that she could speak so well and understand. And I now I kind of forgot most of it, but I, I understood my dad when he would talk, because of course I'm used to his expressions. Um, I took care of both of my parents before they passed and my grandparents except for the Egyptian side because they passed before I, went, I was of age. But I'm, I'm very grateful that I was able to spend time with them as a little girl and that our father took us to Egypt to be with them for that time because uh, me and my brother, because I, ha I remember being picked up and carried around and hand-fed and all of that by my grandmother and my grandfather. They're very loving people, and uh, I'll cherish those memories forever. And my mother's side as well. Uh, my grandmother was, on her side, was very, very elegant and funny and just an amazing woman. And uh, my grandfather, Truman, I took care of him as well and really admired his strength and uh, you know, old-fashioned values. And he was a Navy commander, Navy pilot, and he used to sit and tell me about all his, his memories, watching all of his um, comrades, I guess you could say, go down, and he would be like the last man flying in the air. And a lot of tra trauma and things that he went through and uh, I was just, you know, glad that he could share that with me, comfort be, be comfortable enough to open up and tell me what he went through. And my mom was sad because she felt like the Navy took her dad away from her. And she didn't understand that as a child, why he had to be gone so much. She shared that with me. And my mom went through a lot and I, you know, we figured out she was kind of like poisoned by the water in Los Alamitos because she would drink it at the school and then she would black out and she thought it was normal because it happened so, so frequently. Um, of course, she had cancer three times in her life later on, but she also had chemo, which I believe destroyed her immune system. And she didn't realize it until after the the third because um, it was 10 years apart each time so she went through a lot medically I witnessed that I was there for her um, my mom was a very strong and independent woman and 
overcame some of the most harsh treatments you can imagine. Um, my father was super tough. He had three strokes, three heart attacks, and needed full care at the end. And I stayed with him around the clock 24-7 and um, took care of him and very grateful that I was able to. That's part of the reason why I never had children because I was with my, my dad for many years. He was also legally blind. He had a genetic eye condition because his parents were first cousins, which is very common in Egypt um, because they try to preserve the, the lineage, the bloodline. And so, of course, it did cause some issues for him and his two brothers um, who are still alive. One uncle is in Australia, Queensland, I believe. I've spoken to the one in Egypt recently, and um, I have family all across the world. I have a cousin in Denmark, my uncle's daughter, and she has a daughter. Her name is Caroline. She has a daughter named Natasha, and uh, very you know, proud of them, and my Italian auntie, Marina, and... Uh, so my grandmother in Egypt was a Renaissance woman and she was friends with some of the famous singers and one of her best friends was Um Kalsum. I know I didn't say it correctly, but listen to some of her music. It's, it's pretty good. Even though I don't understand, I listen to it and read the um, captions or the subtitles, I guess you could say. And... Um, what can I say about myself? Well, I've taken care of children for over 20 years as a nanny. I've worked with special needs, HIV positive, which I learned the children, because they were born from drug addicted mothers who were often diagnosed with this. And um, it was a residential facility that I worked in, but I found out that they actually outgrow it many times. So their immune system would kick in. And I kind of felt it was the AZT that was harming them. And when I listened to Carrie Mullis, keep in mind, I did this job um, when in my 20s, I was, I was a lot younger. I'm now in my late 40s. And I think I was even a teenager when I started doing that might have been 17, 18, and, uh, and I was suspected the drug was the problem, and I kind of felt like that was confirmed by the inventor of the PCR because I really studied him this last year, Carrie B. Mullis, and he commented on that on, in some of his interviews, that that was the true issue was the AZT. So anyway, I just wanted to um, point that out Um, because I was a witness to children having a reverse diagnosis, being diagnosed with HIV and then not having it as they got older. So I just wanted to put that in there. Also took care of deaf and blind children, Um, all different types of special needs 
And I worked for many families as a live-in, live-out, travel nanny, all ages and stages. And it was a lot of fun. And I learned so many different things about life and people, relationships, families, and what they go through. And always, I always knew how to fit in and, and be of help. And um, I enjoyed it. I really loved what I did. Because I w- I'm, I've never been someone that's wanted to sit in an office under fluorescent lighting <laughs> or sit in a... I'm just... I'm more about living life and doing things naturally and, and being free. And so the work that I've always tried to do work that kind of gave me a lot of freedom, which I did as a nanny because I would have full charge and take the kids everywhere, do whatever I wanted, take them to the parks, the museums, the beaches, the wherever we wanted to go and just have a blast. And, um, and then, and I always had animals growing up, so taking care of pets came naturally to me and I loved my animals. And so I do take care of pets now. I help others with their animals and I love it because again, a lot of freedom and, um, I do art I do oils with crystals. I basically put them in the paint with tweezers and make beautiful mosaics. And I'm a writer. I do poetry. I'm going to get back into that. I've been a little preoccupied with everything else. So I've been reading the poetry of Knowledge the Wordsmith, which I love. Um, He's amazing and such a godsend. I'm so glad that we connected last year um yeah I'm just it it was really like miraculous how we met and and got you know and started just doing this poetry and we did memes together we did so many (laughs) so many things through this entire scandemic that really kind of bonded us and brought us closer together and it's nice to connect with someone on your wavelength I'm a fellow poet, deep thinker, freedom fighter. Um, so I do art, writing. I like to make jewelry with crystals and stones that are healing, such as hematite and all different types, beautiful stones, precious, some of my precious stones, which I, by the way, I have all over my home. I have shungite crystals, uh, hematite, and I'll take some pictures of all of it, but I have some of it under my IG profile, EMF and RF protection. I posted some, but I have a lot more than that I can post up. And um, I'm going to create it. I'm going to make a, like, a better site. Like I've started a WordPress which I think is more reliable. That way it won't get taken down. I tend to get censored often, so I'm probably going to need to take a break. But I have plenty of content for everyone to go through. So many albums and things that I've, pictures and documents that I've collected. 
let me not get off topic. I'm talking about my life here. So, um, so that's been my life's work. I've taken care of elders. I love the older folks, their knowledge, so inspiring. And I like to travel a little bit, but mostly road trips. Not a, not fond of flying too much. I love to be in front of the water, lakes, beaches, candles. Um, and I love holistic remedies and natural, everything natural and organic. Um, I like to be kind of in remote areas, not so much in the cities, even though I live in the city. My preference is, and my future is to be else. I see myself leaving the city very soon. Um, I have a lot of skills. I'm a good writer. And I'm good with presentation, photojournalism, things like that. And I've always enjoyed... I'm just a creative individual. So I have a, I pay attention to detail. And that is why I decided to basically expose what was really happening because I could see it coming from a, a very intuitive mother who was very prophetic, by the way, and a very dynamic father who taught me a lot about life and how to survive and had a good sense of humor and always made me laugh through everything and was just as strong as a lion through some very difficult times that I witnessed and experienced. Gave me a lot of strength. And um, so I just felt like all that was, gave me a good foundation. And, and I feel that sometimes I see things that a lot of people miss and sometimes I feel like I'm ahead of other people in terms of what's going on. And I, I even, I stopped watching TV years ago because it was just so, so much indoctrination, so much, so many, so many lies <laughs> that I could see through that I could, I just, I, I couldn't deal with it. And especially it's manipulating you as you watch it. There's actually a patent where it, it, it affects you, your brain waves. Um, people don't realize this, especially the new TVs. But So I just stopped completely and very selective with what I watch and what I read and what I listen to. I like jazz. I like good music. I like oldies and slow jams and classics and... I have really good taste in music. I have good taste in food. I like Mediterranean food. I was raised on stuffed cabbage and molcheja, which is the jute plant, my favorite soup. Um, I enjoy I enjoy life. I enjoy nature. I enjoy animals and being out by the water, just living life to the fullest being in the woods, breathing fresh air, being with good people, taking care of myself as best as I can. 
I did put on some weight this last year, but getting it off slowly but surely. <laughs> Actually, I've gotten quite a bit of it off because I did blow up like the first six months of stagnation because I was just, what was everybody doing? We were at home eating, but um, got busier after that. And this last year has been pretty busy year for me. Um, so that's, I guess, enough for now. I can't think of anything else. I'm just like, I'm just trying to give you an idea of what I'm about. And, um, if you have any questions, you can always email me at we do not consent worldwide at protonmail.com. Have a great night, everyone. So my father, uh, grew up in Egypt and... He was a self-made man, and what he would do is he would figure out what was needed where, and he would make sure to bring that product and make money on it um, by volume. And there was a time when tuna was needed. I think it was in Alexandria. Where was it? Cairo. Anyway... My father figured out where to get it for a good price and sell it. And he made a lot of money doing that, um, just moving a product from one area to another. And so that kind of became his life's work. And he would buy and sell and did it very successfully. He would buy and sell various products. Um, You name it, he bought and sold it. And did a lot of, like, auctions and different things like that in in the United States. But when he was younger, at one point, well, he bought himself a really nice sports car in, in Egypt. And it was, you know, kind of a head turner. So his dad said to him, my grandfather said, what are you, what are you doing? Are you selling drugs? And he said, no, I'm selling tuna. And he, he didn't believe him because he just thought, how did he get all this money? But my dad was just like a natural born hustler. He always knew how to make a buck and he always had a lot of money and he started in in um in the United States when my parents settled in California he was buying and selling like old black and white TVs and then he just grew from there and be you know started selling bronze statues uh, taller than me and and all kinds of antiques and reproductions and beautiful hand-carved pieces and Indonesian um, wood and all kinds of just very ornate, decorative items, furniture, decor, gift items of every kind that you can imagine. So we went to the gift show in, in Los Angeles and he traveled worldwide. He went to gift shows uh, all across the country and 
you know, did some importing. And then he decided to just buy directly from the importers at their cost because oftentimes they would buy the stuff, not be able to sell it. And he figured it was cheaper for him and less traveling to just buy from them at their cost because they just wanted to unload it at that point. He was an excellent salesman. He knew how to move it. And thus came the auctions. And so I grew up in that type of um, environment. Um, You know, the auctions every week. I would help my dad assemble things, decorate the auctions, make them nice. And that's when I started to work with crystals um, because he would buy these really beautiful candelabras and I would say to my dad, hey, I think it would be prettier with crystals attached. So I actually took the initiative and got myself a drill press and the goggles and everything and I would drill the holes and hang crystals off of these different um, candelabras, brass, and different materials, and really dressed up the auctions. And uh, my dad appreciated that, and so did the auction houses. And it became fun, and I would sometimes paint them, and and just, you know, kind of brought my creative side out, too. I had always been a writer, I was always, um, since I was, since I learned how to write kindergarten, preschool, (laughs) I was writing stories about what it felt like to be a piece of bubble gum, to be stepped on, chewed on, spit out, thrown away, and all that stuff. I, I was very creative as a little girl. And my mom thought that was an amazing story that I wrote and she saved it. I might even still have it somewhere because I preserved a lot of um, sentimental things. But it was was a fun business. I I always was with my father day in and day out. Um, My family, we spent a lot of time together even when he worked. He would take us with him sometimes and... Otherwise, um, my mom would be doing her own thing, assisting him with, um, you know, landing accounts and things like that and doing that on her own. And she was very good at that, too. So they were a good power couple. They were um, an amazing team. And I remember going with him to L.A. every day. And the one thing that my dad did like to do was he was a gambler. So sometimes we would stop at the casino and I would be the only um, (laughs) little girl allowed in the big, you know, they call it the big room, which is where the high rollers play. So my dad was a high roller and many of our family vacations were in Vegas and he played with Red Fox and Sammy Davis Jr. at the MGM Caesars Palace. All those places, they they know his name. Um, you know, everything was calmed. But of course, not really because he, my father confessed later to 
one of the Egyptian priests that he had lost over $40 million, which really shocked my mother because he said it in front of her and she didn't know. But she did know that he was um, a gambler all of his life, even when we lived in Egypt. Her, She noticed that um, he would go to the casino often when they were newly married and he took her around the world they traveled the world together and she said no matter what country they were in or what city um if there was a casino there the people that worked there all knew him by name and she was very young so sometimes she was even too young to go into certain areas of the casino or whatever, maybe like where the liquor was being served. But um, she said that all these beautiful European women surrounded her that were very glamorous. And they asked, and my mom was pretty um, simple. She was, you know, I think she was 18 and she didn't wear a lot of makeup and she just had kind of a, more of a pure look. And so the woman would ask her, how did you get him to marry you? Well, you know, we all wanted to marry Mike. And, well, they called him Makram because that was his Egyptian name. And she was just like, wow. You know, she... Anyway, um, but my parents... I, I talk about them a lot because I was so close to them. And we did go through some difficult times. There was some hardships, of course. And there was some dysfunctional moments as well. Um, as close as they were, they divorced each other three times. Which I know sounds bizarre. But um, regardless of that, they still were together during those final days of my father's life because my mother passed. My mother was with him the night before he passed and he was prayed over by the Egyptian priest, which was miraculous in itself. And my mother passed within a couple of years after my father. Six months before she died, she told me that she had a dream about my dad and he was basically saying, you know, come here, baby, or like, come with me, come be with me. Um, and he was calling for her is what she told me. And she would always have visions, dreams. She even worked at a place called Visions and Dreams doing readings in Newport Beach. I think it's still there. But um, she... Basically, a month before she passed away, she said to me, I'm going to return to you as a black and yellow butterfly. And she said that because when her and I would swim together all the time, a black and yellow butterfly would land <laughs> on her or me or the towel or just... We often encountered a black and yellow butterfly, but it was mostly black with yellow 
um, like yellow edges. And so what happened was right after she passed away, this giant butterfly that was mostly yellow, I guess you could call it um, a swallowtail. I looked it up and I have pictures. I've taken pictures and videos because I felt nobody would believe it unless they saw it. But this giant butterfly would fly around the courtyard where she lived, right outside her balcony in Irvine, California. And it would follow me when I would walk my dog. And I would tell people about it while it was happening. One lady, she was really... Um, you know, she understood. She said, oh my goodness, there it is right there. And that happened so many times when I would talk about it and people would see it. And it just followed me for a good year daily. I had butterflies all the time around me, black and yellow. And not only where my mom lived, but also where I lived, um, because I had a little Bichon and I walked her and she, you know, she was like my daughter. I had her 15 years. And anyway, um, so much so that actually, even when I came to Washington, because that was when I was in California, the same exact thing happened to me in Washington. And I noticed an abundance of these black and yellow butterflies here. And I thought, wow, there's so many of them here. And there was one year in particular when I was in transition quite a bit. And I was just kind of bouncing around a little bit that year. And no matter where I went, the day that I was moving, each time when I was ready to move again, the black and yellow butterfly would appear. And it would either cross... I would be sitting on a, you know, in someone's yard or, and it would cross right past me. It would just fly right past me. Um, Or even if I was driving sometimes, it would go right over my windshield. And it could be at a time when I was just concerned about things or if I had any, any worries or if I was uncertain about a decision here, there, you know, it would it would just make itself seen, and it would just put my mind at ease, and I was just amazed. So I just wanted to share that because that happens to me so frequently, and it still does to this day, but not as often as it did the first couple years, especially the first year. Um. My father has come to me in dreams, and my mother too. I've had some really amazing dreams about both of them. And my mother used to say that my dad was in the wind, and she could feel his you know, presence in the wind. There would be times when we would be standing somewhere, and it would be still everywhere else except right where we were. It would just be like a gust of wind. And she said, that's your father. And there would be times here. It happened to me here in Washington when I was in 
up, I was up like in the forest, basically, in kind of a woodsy area. Um, and I was in someone's yard that was just, it had a thick forest around it. And I noticed it was really still everywhere except where I was. It just got really windy all of a sudden. And it was, and I felt like, oh my goodness, is this my, you know, is this like the spirit of my dad or, but I felt it. It was interesting. It was definitely interesting. And, um, there's some, Washington is a very majestic state. So much beauty here. And I've, I've photographed and videoed quite a bit of it, which I'll share. I'm going to add a lot of links to this podcast of the butterfly, of the scenery, where I am, and just anything that's related to my life so that people have a better understanding of me. But yeah, I grew up in that business. Um, so it got me interested in art, more interested. And my mother knew that I would do art. She she was a very prophetic woman, and she walked into my apartment once, and she said, this is going to be, this was a new place that I had moved into um, before I, like, and this is actually where I started doing art. This was back in 20, what year was it? 2010, I believe. And she said, this will become your art studio. And I just looked at her because I thought, art studio, all I really do is write. You know, I really love to write poetry and things. But she knew it, and that's exactly what happened. It became my studio, and it became where I started painting butterflies in honor of her memory because she died in 2011. And I kept wanting a butterfly painting because of our, you know, memories with the butterflies. And I couldn't find one pretty enough that I felt that I risked, you know, that just spoke to me. So I decided to, to create my own. And I, I went out and bought some paint and some canvases. And I bought oils because I like oils and um and then I thought okay something is missing I made it really colorful but I thought wait a minute I know what to do and then I remembered the work I did with my dad and so I went and got these crystals Swarovski crystals because um we have so many contacts and wholesale wholesale contacts basically and I went to this shop that where my father knew the owner for over 20 years we've been going there he's still there by the way in in Los Angeles and but um all these different colored crystals and then I got some tweezers and I just started laying them over the oil and just pushing them down, and then they would dry in the paint. So I didn't use any glue or anything like that. Strictly oil paint and crystals, and that's it. And just some 
tools to press down and things. And the be- the butterflies turned out so beautiful that way. And I felt that it really signified the me- the memory of my mother, who was just an incredible woman. And I'll read the poem that I wrote for her and read at her memorial. So she always took me to live music venues. She loved jazz, which is why I play it often when I do my podcasts. Um, and I also support local jazz artists. And my mother always knew where they were performing, and we would always be there. And, and I kind of grew up with that, too. So all of the musicians the local musicians that my mother had supported and always attended their shows came and actually performed at her, we call it a life celebration. She didn't want a funeral. She wanted um, everyone to be happy and joyful. And so the family came and everybody danced and it was beautiful music and good food. And we made it a happy and upbeat occasion just to honor her wishes, just as she wanted. And that was really nice. I'm so grateful for all of them. And actually, I do have it on video, which I'm going to... I have it on a, on a DVD, so I'm going to figure out how to transfer part of it over. And I also will read the poem that I wrote in her honor. Um, My father had more of a traditional memorial. The Egyptian Coptic Orthodox priest came and did the chanting and the, um, you know, did a beautiful ceremony at Fairhaven um, Memorial Park in Santa Ana, California. And they had a beautiful, they have a beautiful chapel there. And so I made a photo collage for each one of my parents. Really nice pictures um, to honor their memory. And, and both of them had a wonderful turnout. Both of them had, my father had people flying from different countries and some family and um, my mother had a lot of family and friends come as well. She she even told me she didn't want it to be a big thing. She just, she wanted it to be something. She wanted it to be a party, but she didn't, you know, she, she wasn't particular. She just wanted it to be a celebration, not anything. Um, my father, when my father passed, I was pretty torn because I had been taking care of him for so long. And so I didn't get up and speak, but my mother did. And she, because I was so, I was literally ill from just so sad. Um, I was really heartbroken. And But my mother gave me so much strength. And she strengthened me after he passed to even be able to handle her, her passing and to be able to get up and actually speak and do a poem about her. She she allowed, you know, I'll say that she gave me the strength to do that um, before she passed. 
because she lifted me up so much after my dad passed because I just didn't know what to do with myself at that point because I was so used to just taking care of him every day and when he passed away I just kind of fell apart like what do I do now you know my dad was my everything but um the good news is I know that we'll all reunite again and I I still feel them with me all the time and I have so many things from them that are sentimental that remind me of them every day and I have their picture on my refrigerator and I look at that and and my brother too of course and I'm always surrounded with beautiful animals that are just full of love so um, I just wanted to include that and I'm going to add more to this later Thank you for listening. Speaking of my father, he was a very big part of the opening of South Coast Auction in Santa Ana, California. My father is um, the reason why that auction even started, really, because he taught the owner, Billy Humphreys, the business, basically. And um, my father went to that auction for many years and really enjoyed it and was a you know, major supplier of the auction for a long time. Um, and it was always fun to go and decorate it. And I would dress it up with, you know, beautiful crystals and candelabras and just wanted to mention that because um, my brother just told me very recently that unfortunately the owner Billy has passed away and it's uh, pretty sad uh, because I haven't seen him in a while but I want to send my condolences to the family and just say thank you for everything through the years and um <clears throat> we have a lot of memories there at that auction. But Billy passed away in Alaska. He loved to go fishing there, and that was always one of his favorite places that I remember him mentioning um, many times and all the pictures and uh, memoirs that he had from Alaska, even at the auction and in his office, which we set. We always sat in his office upstairs. And um, as kids and growing up, and just, it was kind of a family, you know, hangout that we would go there and buy and sell and always knew people there, my father's connections. And so I just want to send love and prayers to everyone. And I will reach out <clears throat> personally um, this is a daughter of Mike Macram. You know who he is. <laughs> anyway, um, just wanted to add that on to this right now because it's, this is very recent. Just happened. My father, like I said, and if I've repeated myself about anything, forgive me. Because sometimes I do that when I think about my, my family and my parents and my, our lives. Um, 
But yes, my father was involved with many auction houses as far as supplying them with beautiful merchandise from different countries and antiques, reproductions, ornate gift items, decor of everything you can imagine. And it, it's, it was a really interesting business and he had a good eye. He knew what, what to what to get and he knew how he well he was good at negotiation. That was his specialty. He was excellent with getting things for the right price. And he liked to sell in volume and instead of trying to make a lot of money on a few items, he just tried to make a little bit on many items. So a lot of work involved. He did it the old fashioned way. Not like everyone with eBay and Etsy and all these other things that people use now, the the, um, online marketplaces. He didn't do it that way. He did everything the original way (laughs) that it was done. Going, picking up the goods and taking it to the um, buyers directly. So he was buying, picking up, delivering, selling, all of it. And he was excellent at it. He was really, really smart. And he was a self-made man in that department. My mother was a good um, salesperson, too. And she enjoyed it. And she landed several accounts. And she was very prophetic. And she was very intuitive. And she had a gift that she... She didn't really try to make money off of her gift, per se, but she she did do readings toward the end of her life, the last few years, I'd say, and she enjoyed that just because she was even surprised that she could get paid for it because that was never really her forte, you could say. It was never really her intention was to make money on it but she did make a few dollars doing that and um you know my mom was always well growing up we always had her mom she was always there cooking at home and cleaning and taking care of us me and my brother were her life all of her life and she had me when she was 18 and my brother soon after we're only a couple years apart um, not even maybe 18 months apart so we were always with her mom everywhere and even on her passport photo <laughs> we were sitting on her lap um, and of course you know my father took her around the world before they got married and that's why she she told me about all their trips and all the places they went and all the fun times that they had and the family members he had everywhere and um, she was just so surprised how how well known he was in different parts of the world and all the family members he had everywhere cousins all over the place just really amazed her and um, he was a very very I will say dynamic 
person, very charismatic, entertaining, hilarious, and just... I haven't seen anyone on film that was as entertaining as my father. In my, you know, personal opinion, he was that entertaining, more entertaining than The Godfather. He was just very unique, original, one-of-a-kind person. And my mom, she just had the heart of gold. She always looked out for people. Her life's work that she, she said was the most important was her volunteer work. She did 24-hour phone counseling, suicide crisis line, um, talking to people all across the world, going through all different types of situations, praying with them on the phone. She worked, she did, well, it was volunteer work, which she was doing at the Crystal Cathedral. They had the Tower of Power um, next to the church, and they had a chapel at the very top. I believe it's still there now. That's where we actually held her life celebration in that chapel because she did so much work in that building on the phones, all different hours, <laughs> late at night, early in the morning, she would be there answering the phone, people calling in from Europe and everywhere, anywhere in the world that, you know, knew the number. I think it was 714 New Hope at the time. And, um, and there were a few times I sat there with her because I was kind of curious and I wanted to help. And then I got a call and I didn't know what to say. <laughs> Someone was suicidal and I didn't know what to say. And I was, you know, but my mother kind of guided me and told me to pray with them. Of course, she took the call, um, but I kind of started it. But then I realized how special and important her work really, really was. And also um, inspired me to do more volunteerism myself, which I have done with, I've done prison ministry, I've done homeless, um, you know, helping the homeless and just people that in general, just helping people that are going through tough situations and disadvantaged. And I've, I've worked with children with special needs that was a big part of my work taking care of HIV babies and deaf and blind children teaching them how to communicate and it was so rewarding and I understood the rewards and when I think about it that was my best work too and I want to do more of that because really it's not about the money it's about giving, giving up, you know, to others and giving not only what you can monetize, you know, financially, but also giving of yourself and in, in, what is it? When you, you receive, when you give, you receive the most when you give. It's so true. So I just wanted to add that on and say rest in power to Mr. Billy Humphreys. Um, and send all my love and prayers to the family. 
So I know I left off speaking about Billy Humphreys. And my father did have a lot of wonderful um, business associates that really admired him, that he loved, and that loved our family and grateful for them and for the life that we lived. And my father was a very strong um, spiritual, caring, an amazing man, I will say. And my mother was just an angel on earth. And I'm so grateful that <clears throat> that I was that I'm their offspring. I'm so grateful that uh, for all the experiences that I had growing up, all the lessons that I learned. And basically they taught me to be humble, to be grateful for everything, to thank God for all my blessings, pray, be strong, be kind, be giving. Money doesn't matter. People matter more than money. Um, just so many, so many lessons. My mother was someone that just wanted to do good for everyone. And I know I've been talking about them. I know I probably repeat myself um, when I talk about them. But I just want everyone to know what kind of people they were. Um, <coughs> excuse me. My father was very dynamic. And it was always so much fun to be with him every day and go to work with him and see him in action. And I would be laughing all day long with him. It was always hilarious. And that's why I feel like I can laugh about everything and just even through the hard times, just find the humor in everything to stay sane through the crazy moments. My mother was, um, she was very gifted in many ways, super prophetic. She was highly intuitive. She was very caring and so caring that um, I felt like she kind of was, she, people hurt her feelings a lot. She was really sensitive and I'm like that as well. I'm very sensitive too. And so was my father. He was a gentle giant because um, later in life, his sensitive side really came through, even though I'd always seen it, but even more so later in his life. And I just wanted to be with him every minute when he was going through his medical situations. And I regretted any moment I wasn't with him, <laughs> literally like every second. So, um, it's amazing how people just shine their lights right into your face and don't think anything about it, but it kind of throws me off sometimes when I'm doing this. 
But, um, what was I going to say? Okay, it's talking about my father. Anyway, I really miss my parents. We were closer than close. And all the good the good times, the laughter, and just the comfort, comforting feeling of knowing they were here. I miss that. I just miss having them. Because that was enough for me, just to have them around, just to be with them. And I wanted to be with them so much, they probably got tired of me. <laughs> I always wanted to be around my mom and... Sometimes she'd say, Angie, just go home. And I'd end up laying down in her bed and talking to her all night about Egypt and all the things that she did with my father and all the countries they went to. Because I wanted to know everything about their experiences and where they were and what they did. And my dad... I think I've talked about this already, but toward the end of his life... Um, he lost his ability to speak for at least, I'd say, a good year and a half at minimum. And, but he still communicated with me in various ways with his eyes. And I just could read his mind. I, I felt like we had a telepathic connection going on because I spent so much time with him when he did speak, that I always knew what his routine, what he liked to do. He was a mover and a shaker. He didn't like to be still. And even in his final days, it was hard for me to keep up with him, even when he was immobile. Well, he was, I, I made sure he stayed mobile, but he really kept me on my toes. And, um... So now I kind of have to give myself that kick in the butt because my dad was on, was really like, he'd call me early in the morning. Hey, Angie, ready? Let's go. And we go to LA and do things and business and all that stuff. And, um, just a lot, so much. He had a lot of stamina and he would work long days and I'd be right there with him enjoying it and having a good time and learning and seeing nobody could negotiate like him and I I wish I had filmed him so many times because it was better than any movie I'd ever seen (laughs) it was better than he was so entertaining just his natural talent dealing with people of all different ethnicities and different um for different business deals and I just and auctioneers and bargaining and negotiating and um unbelievable I mean you've never seen anything like it it was just fascinating and I thought there's no way that I can do what my dad does ever I don't think anybody can can like do what he does he was that amazing and even to this day I've never seen anyone like him nobody he was one in a million really one in a trillion and I'm not saying that just because he was my dad he was uh, incredible 
his skills were just unmatched in business. And he could have done so much with that, but he didn't want all the responsibility. He didn't want to go huge and, and get big and have football field, um, stadium-sized warehouses and all that stuff. He taught many men how to do that, how to grow that big in business. And I saw them just blow up with their everything, their catalogs and their merchandise and their... My mom told me a story because we used to go to this warehouse in, um, in Compton, California, of all places. And it was called Yuma, U-M-A, which is owned by an Indian man named Avadesh. Anyway, my father taught Avadesh the business. And my mother said, and you should see, he's huge now. His company is huge. But um, now I think he's in the city of industry or something. Or he might be on the other side of comp. Anyway, um, his warehouse, he kept moving into a bigger warehouse than a bigger warehouse. And so what my mother said to me was, they were at the storage unit one day because my father used to keep storage units full of merchandise. And here comes walking this man with like a, a brass spittoon from India. And he was talking to my father about something. Anyway, my dad and him really got along well. This was Avadesh when he first came to the country, I believe, or something along those lines. And she said that she said to my dad, hey, you know, what are you talking to that guy about? Come on, let's go and stuff like that. And my father was like, no, he's he's really a smart man. And and I really um, appreciate him and things like that. And next thing you know, he did. He followed my what my father told him to do. He followed his instruction. And he just grew and grew and grew. And it was amazing. And we used to go to his warehouse on a weekly basis and pick up some merchandise, um, some of his closeout stuff to drop off at the auctions and stuff because my father was supplying auction houses for many years and got a lot of them started and really um, blew up their businesses as well. And so... He enjoyed being a mentor. He enjoyed teaching people. Did he want to take all that on himself? No. And I'll tell you why. He liked to be on the go. He wouldn't want to be sitting in a warehouse all day. That just wasn't the type of lifestyle he he liked. He liked to be in motion. I know that about him. And um, that's why I couldn't keep up with him. <laughs> Even when he was going through things physically, he still was always in motion regardless. And um, anyway, I just wanted to add that because I was thinking about it. I was thinking about my dad. I had a dream about him the other night. But um, it's like he's he's with me wherever I'm at. He's always around me. Same with my mother. 
I feel I have visions of them and dreams every now and then. And I feel like I get signs from them too. But yeah, that was just a, a little story. Enough. And I might have even said it already on this podcast. I honestly don't remember. But I'll try to bring you some new material. Oh, there's some kids here. So I'm going to go and come back later because they're kind of loud. They're outside, but they're they're happy and excited. In regards to my mother, uh, she was such a resourceful person. And she was a volunteer for the crisis lines that were 24 hours at the Tower of Hope at the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California. It's kind of on the border of orange, but she did that for so many years that, um, and I watched her do it many times. I went in with her just to see her in action and she would pray with people. People would call in from all across the world at all different hours. And my mother was a volunteer there. And this is something that she absolutely loved doing. It was her calling. And she always said it was her best work. And so when they would call in, and they, they might have had um, various issues going on with their family, their job, whatever it was. People were, even that were suicidal, were calling in for help. And my mother had all these resources to share with people. And she would pray with them on the phone. And she would just turn everything around for them. They were so lucky to get her on the phone because she was just so good at what she did to help them. And so witnessing that for so many years helped me to become more resourceful and help others as well. Even people that weren't soliciting my help, I just, I would assess them and see what they needed and try to make sure that it was, um, that they were aware of it. So that's why I am able to do these lengthy presentations with the videos and the descriptions and the um, the photos and everything because I'm very resourceful. I'm very good at finding information because of that experience. If anyone was wondering, how do I get so much info and all this stuff? I know it's it's kind of crazy, but um, I've always been detail-oriented anyway, just being an artist and a writer. So that, I'll just say that watching her do that for the, that long really helped me in that area. And, and I'm so glad that it's been able to benefit other people. So I just wanted to include that about my mother. Recently, I was doing a search and ran across this article about my cousin on my Egyptian side. This is the daughter of my father's sister, who have both passed, my father and his sister. Um, But she is 
such a sweetheart and I just want to share this article about her. Hoda Solomon, a powerful example to her children. This was written January 9th, 2019 by Linda Chisholm. And there's a picture of Hoda with my other cousins who are her three daughters, Dina, Delia, and Denise. Children often inherit the same color of eyes or the same mannerisms as their parents. But Plano resident Hoda Solomon bequeathed something infinitely more important to her three daughters, an example of deep resilience even in difficult circumstances. Born to a Coptic Christian family in Egypt, Hoda was always part of a religious minority in a predominantly Muslim country, but that fact never interfered with developing friendships with those around her. Even today, she counts among her friends many of the Muslim faith. As a child, she loved to draw, and she might have pursued that career had her father not insisted that she attend the American University in Cairo, where she obtained a bachelor's degree in psychology. Marriage followed her graduation, and the first two of her daughters, Dina and Delia, were born in Egypt. By that time, her parents had immigrated to the United States, and a family visit turned into a student visa for the young mother. Although caring for two children under the age of four, Hoda worked full-time as a director of a daycare facility and pursued her graduate degree in developmental psychology at night at the University of Texas at Dallas. By the time she had completed her master's degree, her third daughter, Denise, had turned two years old. Sadly, her marriage crumbled over the next few years, but Hoda was determined to set a strong example of independence for her girls. She returned to school to secure licenses as a social worker, chemical dependency counselor, and professional counselor. She then used those valuable skills to build her career and bless the lives of others. From 1986 to 2001, Hoda worked for medical facilities like Methodist and Presbyterian hospitals in Dallas, and with agencies like the Family Place for Abused Women and Children and the Greater Dallas Council on Alcohol and Drug Abuse. In each environment, Hoda used her empathetic heart to minister to those suffering from addiction, violence, and mental health issues. Her native Arabic proved to be a valuable asset in communicating with immigrants from the Middle East. She remains to this day an active licensed counselor. A change in careers occurred in 2001 when Hoda accepted a contract position with the Department of Justice, a position she would hold for the next 15 years. Fiercely patriotic, she proudly worked for the country she had adopted through citizenship. But of all the accomplishments in her life, Hoda takes the most pride in her three daughters and of their notable careers. Her oldest daughter, Dina, left Texas after graduating in 
from University of Austin for an internship with then-Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson. Her innate executive abilities quickly caught the attention of politicians, and Dina Powell subsequently served in several high-ranking positions within the George W. Bush administration while raising her own two daughters. More recently, she occupied the Office of Deputy National Security Advisor in the Trump administration. After serving in that post for one year, Dina returned to financial giant Goldman Sachs in New York City. During her previous tenure with that company, one of her most important duties was directing the Goldman Sachs philanthropic programs of one of 10,000 women and 10,000 small businesses. Both provide capital expertise and mentorship to entrepreneurs across the world. Hoda has herself been contacted by one grateful jewelry maker in Egypt whose life was changed by the program. Her second daughter, Delia, followed her mother's interest in art, earning a bachelor's degree in English and art history at the University of Texas at Austin and her PhD in art history at Boston University. Her resume lists positions such as development associate at the Walker Art Center and senior lecturer at the Rhode Island School of Design, where she received the John R. Frazier Award for Excellence in Teaching in 2014. In 2018, she accepted the position as head of academic engagement at the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston. Significantly, she has accomplished all of this while mothering two young children. Hoda's youngest daughter, Denise McPeters, is a top-notch realtor in the Dallas area. Following her graduation from UTD, she spent several years working in the exciting world of interior space planning and custom design. In 2012, she joined the real estate giant Keller Williams, where she earned the Rookie of the Year Award and the five-star professional Rising Star Award. She consistently ranks in the top 20% of her market center, serving buyers, sellers, and investors throughout the metropolitan area. Like her sisters, she has managed to balance a demanding career with the stress of motherhood. Fortunately, Denise had the advantage of having her mom close by. Shortly after Hoda retired in 2017, she became the caregiver for her youngest grandson for the first 18 months of his life. Having now relinquished the care of her grandson to preschool, Hoda looks forward to the next phase of her life. With her knowledge and experience in counseling, she could volunteer in any number of service organizations. As a cancer survivor, She's already involved in the cancer support community at Presbyterian Hospital in Plano, where she has met many survivors and received support through her own recovery. Because her life has not always been easy, Hoda can easily empathize with those whose lives have been marred by tragedy, but her battles have only served to increase her faith that God provides 
in exact measure what she needs at precisely the right time. There's always a way to turn something negative into good, Hoda says, and that allows me to forgive others, focus on the future, and have joy in my life.